Thank you for joining us on this episode of MSP 1337, a podcast dedicated to helping MSPs and their clients navigate cybersecurity. Cybersecurity is a journey, but it doesn't mean you have to travel alone. I'm your host, Chris Johnson, and before we get started, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Pinpoint Solutions, a consulting firm dedicated to providing cybersecurity leadership and guidance to MSPs and their clients. Think of us as your virtual CISO or security advisor. Head on over to pinpointsolutions.com to find out more. Now on with the show. Welcome everybody to this episode of MSP 1337. I'm joined this week by Aaron Warner of ProCircular. Welcome, Aaron. Hi, thank you for, uh, for having me on your show, Chris. Appreciate it. So uh, like all of our episodes, we have a raw conversation about a topic that we may have picked somewhere in a previous life uh, a week ago, or potentially as recent as, well, I'm going to go with 90 seconds ago. So today uh, we are talking about, and it's funny because I have this on a post-it note, we're talking about, um, sorry, I totally drew a blank. We're talking about what is the driver for being a more secure environment or even thinking about security. And it was, is compliance my driver or is like a best practice what's driving me regardless of industry or vertical? But that kind of led us to the, I don't want to say rabbit hole, but you brought up the exchange debacle that's sort of, I don't want to say it's plaguing everybody because we look at the percentage of, of those enterprises or businesses still on exchange. That number is relatively small when we think about, you know, technology and it's 2021, not, you know, 2003. So you, you brought it up. So I'm just going to like throw it at you and say, Hey, what was your first response when you heard the conversation and saw the media go, Hey, exchange server compromise, Microsoft, what have you done? Yeah, we, we've, um, uh, we've had a bunch of, uh, I think we, we handled something like 25 incidents within a 36 hour period. And, um, you know, the, the, it's uh, for, for the people who don't know that the, the Microsoft, it's an exchange exploit. Um, uh, it allows an, uh, an individual to drop uh, all kinds of different um, software onto an exchange server. Uh, you can do from that point pretty much anything in that environment. And you can run applications like Mimikatz to pull uh, administrative privileges uh, that give you kind of carte blanche on the network. Uh, you can use it, it's a great launching off point for ransomware. Uh, so you can use it to lock an environment down with, with ransomware. Um, what, what we've seen, interestingly enough, what we've seen in the, um, in the legal world uh, is uh, organizations that uh, they'll, they'll jump into a law office and just sit and listen. They, they, uh, the conversations that those guys have are sensitive. They're a great pivot over to a much bigger fish. Uh, and this this exchange exploit gives gives a hacker gives a variety of hackers without a lot of really complicated tools um, a really interesting way into the environment. Uh, part of, part of the challenge with that is that it's tended to focus it, it's tended to impact companies that uh, are least prepared for um, incident response. A lot of companies that are still, I mean, many companies, not most, but many companies have, have made the jump to Office 365. Uh, they aren't exposed to this, to this issue, at least not nearly as directly. Uh, it's the companies that 
uh, frankly, still run on-premises, uh, Microsoft Exchange. Uh, they probably haven't invested a lot in IT to say nothing of, of cybersecurity. A lot of the organizations that we're talking to are like those one or two man shops uh, with a thousand employees where IT is like a cost center. It's a thing that it's sort of a dirty word in the boardroom and they get their pittance every year and you know they have to figure it out. Um, the, other, the other major thing other than, so it's companies that are least prepared to deal with it are most affected by it. And um, on top of that exchange, you know, is, is um, by its very nature, it's a mail server. So it's, um, uh, I don't want to say promiscuous, but it likes, it to, likes to say hello. It likes to say hello and shake hands right. and exchange all sorts of secrets with, with other uh, dissimilar systems. It likes to not to stretch that Without, out too far, but it sleeps around a lot. Yeah, and, I was going to say, it doesn't use a lot of things that we would call protection. And no, if we, we could really raise this up a little bit, we could say, you know, it's not putting a mask on to uh, stay safe. No, it's not. And uh, especially the on-prem version of it. Well, uh, hey, let's, let's, pause, let's pause right there for a second, because you've, you've said like, well, you, you said enough things that we could have multiple episodes dedicated to those pieces. But one of the things that really just stood out to me that I was thinking about, you, you mentioned the, the exchange server that's sitting there and you, know, you fall into one of two camps. I think one is a cost driver around exchange, kind of like what we talk about with like phone systems, right? So if I have a thousand employees and you multiply that by like a 365 model, versus the exchange server that I have, regardless of how current the exchange server is maintained or how secure the IT might be able to handle it, you've got a serious uh, decision to make that's hard, especially when you start thinking about cost and you go, okay, eight, 12, $15 per seat per month versus we paid a flat rate, it's a one-time cost and, and it's there. But then there's the other piece that I think you also pointed out. And I think this is at the heart of all of it. That's the people part of this. And it's like, why is it so hard to provide proper security around something like an exchange server? And perhaps this is a simple answer, you know, an exchange server, push the button, follow the wizard, turn it on, point the DNS, you've got mail. Yeah. yeah. But we've put it in an environment that in most cases, we were doing a relatively decent job of setting up security profiles and groups, but then lost our minds when we put exchange servers in place. Yeah, exchange, I mean, and you know, to, to tie it to the people thing, I mean, I think you and I are both similar in that, uh, you know, this is all about people. That's one, of, that's one of our core values, it's about people. Right. Uh, in fact, at the company, uh, your review, everyone's review, uh, you get graded on how well you do on that by your peers. Um, I get graded on that. Like so, how well you handle things like, say, phishing campaigns and those types of things. How how well you how well you interface with your colleagues. How, oh, okay. So how like how well you talk to clients. Do you speak down to them? Do you help to educate them? Do you all of those things? Your peers. I mean that that impacts what kind of a raise you get. It's like a social communication performance model of some. Exactly. Because again, you know, I, um, I mentioned this before the show. I had, a, I had a, a mentor many years ago. He was a very technical gentleman in his 60s. 
tell me, you know, Aaron, no matter what problem you're working on in technology, if you if it begins to look like a technology issue, look more closely. It's about people. Even the most technical software or hardware issues, if it's a configuration thing, there are people reasons that that's the case. In the case of Microsoft Exchange, you know, in the in the scenario that you know you described, and I think we keep running into, those are decisions that were made by people um, about their businesses. Those are the the people who run things have said this is not a priority when compared to these other things. So we're gonna stick with Exchange, um, even if the IT team has been screaming about moving to Office 365. Like we don't need that. We got a mail server already. I'm going to put my focus on other parts of the business and give my money because it's my money to, right. s- to other people. Well, in, in your, in your people statement, I think this is important. And so I had someone I was talking to the other day that said, um, you know, it's Microsoft, Microsoft sucks. And please don't come after me, Microsoft. This no, is not, not me not judging you. Yeah. But I was thinking about that statement and I thought we can always find somebody else to blame. Right, because the reality is if your exchange server or whatever it might be is properly patched and truly being maintained, there's a lot of the vulnerabilities and exploitations that happen, whether this one could have be avoided or not, I won't even go down the rabbit hole because I'm sure we have we could have heated discussions in either direction about this. Where the buck stops is still with people that are responsible for that exchange server. And it's not the vendor who created the software that's running on it. I, I couldn't agree more. And you take, take your pick of alternatives, right? The same is true of Gmail. People set that up. People configured those systems. People, uh, if, you wanted, if you want to compare kind of apples and apples, an on-prem um, Microsoft Exchange server that's fully patched and then deployed, I'll put that up against a on-prem fully patched copy of Red Hat with the mail server. Uh, any day of the week. I mean, I, I think that you'd find that they, they're they both subject to exploit, but I think that Linux box is going to get knocked over first. Well, let's, let's, let's make the apples to apples even closer. Let's say that both systems are running Windows. Uh, one's running Exchange and one's running, say, Zimbra. Yeah. Or another mail solution that operates in similar fashion to exchange. And there's another one that I'm totally losing my mind on that was almost identical to exchange. Um, Microsoft has done a great job of eliminating their competitors in this space. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But at the same time, <laughs> there are a few players that that are in this space that have managed to stick around. And largely because you go back a few years, there wasn't a good solution that would run on Apple. Mm-hmm. And as Apple started to, well, or even Linux, right? There are... There are some Linux options that run like Exchange because someone said, I think I can secure Linux better than, you know, the other person can, right? So that, therefore, my Exchange environment is more secure. But again, I think we're going to go, this analogy is going to go in circles. People are the problem and people are the solution. So if you were to like, I mean, you're in the space, you know, as many incidents as you described in a, you know, 30, was it 32 inch or 20, 25 25, incidents, 32 hours? And that's just that. That's not everything. The normal. Sure. Like, but you're talking specifically about the exchange as a, as a debacle in and of itself. So the, the question that I have is, you know, and, and maybe this is, you know, not a question that we can just have the answer, but maybe more of like how to try and answer. And it makes me think about what could I have done, right? Like, 
I mean, how many people are asking themselves this question that are facing this? Like, what should I have done differently? Because I know the first answer that comes to mind is you should have gotten rid of your exchange server. That, I mean, that's an easy, like, well, if you'd have gone to 365, you'd have never been in this boat in the first place. And it's like, yeah, but now we're just saying one problem to inevitably end up with another problem because we don't change the mindset around this. This is just kicking the can down the road. Yeah, part of it is accepting uh, cyber risk as a forever problem, as opposed to a thing that you spend money on and it just goes away. Um, you mentioned top of that, top of the hour, that um, the uh, difference between compliance and security, or you know, sort sort of along those lines. That's a similar discussion, right? Uh, you you place you've only you've got limited resources, and you decide on where those resources are going to be. Are going to be put and right. if, if yeah you could have moved to 365 and that probably would have spared you this specific incident but we've handled more than our share of uh, office 365 exploits right um it's it's about that continual approach to security as opposed to kind of a one and done uh the companies that we frankly that we struggle with and if I'm being totally honest, we, we try to send to other competitors. Sure. Are the ones who are like, look, we don't care about any of this crap. We just want to be able to tell, insert regulatory agency, uh, whether it's federal, state, or uh, industry. Yeah, we're good, right? Check. Yeah, I just want to tell my PCI compliance guys right. that one of the worst. I just want to tell my PCI compliance guys that we're cool and get back to doing what we what we do. You may be able to accomplish that, but that doesn't mean you're secure. And it's the same sort of thing with Office 365. Big fan, you know, a, a lot of clients running that, that platform. Uh, but just because you've moved there doesn't mean that you're secure. And if you, if you haven't been able to make the case to executive management or if management or ownership doesn't get that this is like a forever risk, it's similar, it, it's not like insurance where you talk to your insurance guy once a year and then you pray something bad doesn't happen. Right. That's compliance, right? Security is more like your relationship with a lawyer where you've got a relationship and you can call them and say, Hey, you know, Susan, I'm thinking about doing this thing. What does that risk look like? And if I open an office in Dubai, what does that mean for us? Right. From a legal perspective, can you give me, tell me what my risks look like so I can make that decision. Sure. Same should apply in cybersecurity. If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna put a new application online, uh, and we decided to write it in house, what's that mean? Like, mm -hmm. what is what sort of risk do I inherit by, by taking that approach? And that that again is, uh, you know, not to beat this to death, but it's a people thing too. Are you working with somebody who's relatable? Are you working with somebody who's empathetic and understands your perspective? You know, well, you just wrote the next 10 episode titles. We could go risk, <laughs> risk, you know, what are, what's my risk appetite? And then talk about risk tolerance and then talk yeah. about risk acceptance, right? But you just, your point's perfect though, Chris. It's, it's about people and people, that's not a zero sum game. No. And, and so where I was going to go with, so based on what you were saying there for, for a minute, it, I was thinking about risk is kind of a really important conversation because we're all going to buy products, products, tools, services, you name it, and they're all going to get purchased from people. And, and the question that we have to ask ourselves isn't so much about what are we buying 
It's who are we buying it from? And what's the level of trust that we're willing to give that entity? And I think Microsoft is a good example of it. We keep picking on Microsoft. But what's really interesting is Microsoft really, for the most part, doesn't claim to be a security company. We don't say Microsoft and then MSSP, right? We don't say Microsoft and then uh, best of breed security solutions. I'm not saying they don't have security products and services, but they're not leading with that as the flagship product from Microsoft. What's interesting is if I look at any strong Microsoft stack, someone's layering other products and services from other vendors in with it. So I have a client that I'm working with right now, eight employees, 10 employees. Uh, we've put in um, backup solutions for the G Suite that they run on there and they're on enterprise. We've got uh, endpoint protection running on them from, from our good friends over at PCmatic. We've got... Um, uh, they decided they wanted to be in sync. So they've got a full backup per endpoint that's continuous and actually is prepped so that if a machine's infected by ransomware, it yep. will, it even has a zero day uh, flag. So if something looks out of the ordinary, it basically stops the backups. As I was thinking about all of that, I'm going, man, that's a lot of things to buy after having invested in say Microsoft or Google Enterprise or whatever, or, or, or anything. So I think the question is, is to remember that when you buy something, whether it's for compliance or security, gonna get to be layered on that, what are the risks that you're willing to accept versus what are you buying or doing to remediate? And I had this conversation the other day and I'd love to get your thoughts on it. The managed services space by and large is about risk reduction not risk remediation. And we do it involuntarily, right? Because we are saying that I am going to solve this risk problem by product X, but those products are not necessarily this, you know, reducing risk to zero. In fact, 99.99% of the time, it is only reducing the risk, right? There is no EDR or AV or any sort of next gen whatever that says, we solve your problem 100%, and here's how we do it. You unplug the cord from the network, right? You know, what, what are you seeing specializing in this space when you have these conversations, whether it's with the MSP or their clients or, or your clients are direct, this seems to be like where the heart of it is when we start talking about people. Yeah, uh, you know, risk, I don't wanna get too philosophical about this, but, um, <laughs> This is not uh, a religious podcast. No, uh, um, <laughs> I mean, you, so it, to me, it's a little bit like the conservation of energy. Okay. Right. Energy can't be created or destroyed. So, sure. so, so goes risk, right? right? I think, I think that you can move it around. Um, you can, but there are risks that are inherent when you decide to go into business, when you decide to turn on a computer, when you decide to leave your your house, right? It's about what are you what are you doing with those risks? Are they are you going to move them to somebody else? Um, you can try to eliminate them, but even that is is often a temporary to, component. And if you do, it pops up in another form. Uh, it's not risk doesn't ever disappear. Um, it just shows up in different in different forms in different guises. So it, I I think that. You know, analyzing it, um, understanding how to respond to it ahead of time. I think all of those things. I think it, I think it has. I think it's very similar. Uh, so, 
you know, um, you, you talk about um, MSPs. That's certainly a method of uh, dealing with some, some, if your organization, if you can't find a decent IT person inside sure. your, your company, uh, there are a lot of MSPs that are really good. And um, those guys will often can do a better job of managing, especially like a VDI environment. Um, right. Uh, they'll do a better job at that because they have to. They, right. they, don't, they don't have a choice, but you haven't eliminated the risk of using computers. You certainly haven't eliminated the risks of that you take on when you start a company. You know? So I I would actually, I'm not going to, I don't, I don't think this is disagreeing with your, your kinetic, uh, the energy scenario, <laughs> but, but I will say this, I think, so I think about risk acceptance, risk, risk avoidance, risk tolerance, the whole stack of risk. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some things that we reduce down to zero, at least for say me. So one example would be if I can truly move the risk onto you, that's a zero risk now to me. It doesn't mean like you said, that we aren't introducing potentially additional risks because of whatever you might do could put still puts me at risk. But it makes me think about the one key thing that's more important potentially than the risk conversation itself is how are we measuring quantitatively or qualitatively that risk? Because if we have that to start with, then we can start making decisions that are like, yes, if I'm going to be number two in my industry, I'm accepting X amount of risk. But if I want to be number five, because I see the sweet spot and see, wow, if I'm number five, that's still me growing by 48% from where I am today, but I'm not taking on the risk like that would be for the number two spot or the number one spot. And I can measure that. Well, now I have something to work on. So if I think about the cybersecurity space, which I think is probably the fundamental problem most of us have is how much should I spend or how much should I buy or what layers do I have to have? And the reality is nothing and everything. Yeah, yeah. There's there's another one. I'll get I'll get um, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep beating this thread to death because I uh, I work. Are you gonna science. talk about the stars and the moon now with no, I'm, I'm gonna talk about Pearson's law. Okay. Uh, which is the that which is measured tends to improve. So just yep. the just the fact that you're talking about cybersecurity as risk. And just the fact that you're measuring it means that it is going to tend to improve. And I'll, I'll even take a swing at tying this back. One of the big problems with this exchange flow was that they set uh, exchange servers up and just let them sit. They never measured whether or not the risk was changing related to those servers. And because of that, the patches weren't applied because of that they have some guy dropping mini cats into their environment and stealing AD credentials, right? So just the fact that, and, and it, also, it also ties into the, the question about compliance versus security. If you have a security program, you're measuring your risk and you're doing it continually as opposed to a single point in, in time. So if you measure it and you do it consistently, it will tend to improve. So I'll, I'll throw I'll throw this at you because I think it's kind of interesting that you, we keep going after Microsoft. But obviously, they do control a large part of what we yeah. use for productivity. Um, but it made me think about the age-old argument of Linux or Mac or Apple, and that is I use this Linux or, or Apple to reduce risk because I they're not as exploitable. And I used air quotes for those of you listening. Um, 
It's funny because the reason they weren't exploitable or, or weren't as commonly exploited was because they weren't popular. No reason to go after them, right? So me switching to that platform didn't necessarily make me any more or less vulnerable. It gave me the illusion that because no one's interested in going after that platform today that I'm not interesting to go after at all. So the I was reading an article this morning and it was talking about some of the new uh, Linux-based desktop environments and it was like, I think it was the Guadera. Uh, I'm probably saying that wrong. Um, but it was talking about it as a new platform and it has followed kind of the Apple-esque, you know, mirror-y icons and some cool stuff to it. And, and it was saying that like, this is, it rivals the Ubuntu experience. I have never been so angry in my career as I had somebody tell me when I asked about what AV product he runs on his Linux platform, and he said, why would I need to do that? It's running Linux. And so the rabbit hole conversation continued. So I said, well, how often do you patch and ensure that you've gone from say, whether it's 14 or 15, you know, to go to 16. And I got into this like discussion around like the long-term rollout versus short-term rollout of the platform. And I'm like, you're missing the whole point. Not necessarily that you are or aren't secure with your platform, but if you also have to meet regulatory compliance, there's mm -hmm. no pass go if you're saying, yeah, we've chosen not to update because we're the, on the long-term cycle and we're waiting until the next round of long-term release. Mm -hmm. Doesn't apply. I mean, you, there's so many ways around that. I'll give your buddy a, a small get out of jail free card. And this comes from- Free. Free. This, okay. comes, this comes from my, I spent a lot of time in manufacturing and in biotech. I worked for a company that manufactured custom DNA. We did 50, 60,000 custom sequences a day and delivered them to your bench within 24 hours, whether you're in the United States or in uh, Asia or in Western Europe. Nice. So, yeah, so we had all kinds of gadgets to do what we did. You I thought you were going to say because you manufactured COVID in a lab. Uh, they they actually do all of the testing work. They've developed most of the tests, million, hundreds, millions of tests. And uh, all of the companies like Moderna and Cepheid and all those guys are um, our clients of, of IDTs. Um, but one of the things that we had to use, and I'll cite a specific case, uh, we had to use a mass spec. Uh, this is a, an electrospray mass spectrometer, which yep. is a great big, super expensive device. And uh, you basically use it to determine whether you've made the thing the customer asked you to make. Uh, the trick with that particular device uh, is that there's like one version of it and the card that you use to draw the data off of it only works on Windows XP and only works in a specific version. And if you patch it, the thing, everything goes to hell in a handbasket. And the vendor, uh, and I don't mind, Brinker Daltonics is the company, said, sure, we're, your security guys must be freaking out. XP is terrible. We hate it too. If you just buy a new half million dollar fast spec, and oh, by the way, we had 13 of them. Uh, if you just buy 13 new mass specs, we can get you up to Windows 10. Like, well, you know, no. That's not going to happen. That's a very short conversation with a CFO. Yeah. So, so yeah, you can't you can't patch that. But right? you just said you said it in what you said. You're talking about a people 
can address this problem by figuring out what is the solution we put into place to prevent that from being exploited That's, and still benefit from your mass spectrometer. Yeah, so you gotta hide that thing on the network and you've gotta do VLAN stuff, firewall stuff, and all kinds of different things without messing around with the specific device. So if your buddy with the Linux box, if he doesn't wanna patch anything and he just wants to let it hang out, as long as he's isolating them from every other device on the network, uh, he's right. Sure. So that was a pretty weak get out of jail free card. That's assuming, <laughs> that's like assuming a lot of things like it's not maximum security. It's, yeah. it's yeah. Uh, critical. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, but along those lines, I think it's still really important to point out that while that was the driver or that is the driver in that case, it's also the fundamental problem with most environments you go into. Why was this exploited? Well, because they hadn't taken the proper steps to VLAN. They didn't take the proper steps to put, you know, uh, routing rules in place that says this VLAN cannot talk to this VLAN. And no, your BYOD device cannot be joined to the corporate network just because you have the, the key to do so. Even if your BYOD device is a half million dollar Bruker Daltonics ESI, right? Right. Talk right. about the coolest thing in the world to exploit a thing that sh with a massive superconducting magnet that shoots lasers at DNA. Like who doesn't want to hack that? Uh, who doesn't want one? Uh, who doesn't want one? <laughs> like, I mean, I'm sure I could build something to house it, but uh, yeah. Just make sure it's not connected to the internet and you're in good shape. <laughs> but even then, I think that you're, you're, the, the arguments that we can make all day long, I remember 20 years ago, I had a client where their accounting department, they basically were in one room, they were on a switch, they were networked with each other, they did not have internet, and they actually processed payroll, they plugged in the telephone modem line into the wall to connect and process payroll, and in their mind, that was secure because there was no internet connection for viruses to get onto the computers. I said, well, how do you get things like timesheets and all of that onto those computers? And they're like, oh, we have this flash drive that we have in each department that gets loaded up with the timesheet at the end of the week. And then we go and plug. I was like, who's scanning the flash drive? They're like, oh, well, we've got Norton running on all of our machines to scan it. And I go, oh, well, how often do you plug your machine into the internet to get the updates for Norton? Crickets. They created their own loophole and their own security system without even thinking about it because the inconvenience of not having it connected so they wouldn't have to manually put somebody's timesheet in, they lost sight of the reason they did it in the first place. The weakest link situation. Right? Yeah, I'm surprised it's people. It reminds me of the Stuxnet uh, exploit, right? That was, they, the, I mean, if you believe the urban legends around it you, you, that you drop a bunch of USB sticks in the parking lot. You don't try and take their security head on. And That's not an urban legend, man. <laughs> well, I can't confirm or deny. I can, um, I will confirm it for you. So <laughs> I went to an event that makes the parking lot look like a um, small potatoes. I actually have had several cases where we did do that as part of a social engineering attack, but we did one that we thought would be fun. And we did this at DEF CON. We thought it'd be fun to put flash drives with company logos of different random companies. And we put them in a basket and we just said we had free flash drives. We ran out of flash drives in about 30 seconds. Even at DEF CON. Oh at DEF CON. So, yeah. that's so that, that's. Zone. They're probably imaging them and dropping them back into your container to see who else they can. 
Yeah. Well, here's the crazy thing. If you think about anything that can be exploited, there's also those of us who may be the best at security in the world. We still are human too. So like, I don't know how many times I'll, I'll tell you one that was, uh, I had this happen to me. This has been a year. There's a LinkedIn post and the guy said, I will give a pair of beats wireless over your headphones to the first people that click on this link and sign up for a, for a demo. I was like, click. And I don't have them here, but I do have that pair of wireless beats headphones to this day. And so I will tell you that while there are lots that are bad news, there are the exceptions that are not so bad after all. Is that an acceptable risk? Was that risk trade worthwhile? You know, in that case, it really wasn't a big risk because it was literally via the messenger in LinkedIn. It wasn't like I had to click on a, I didn't fill out a form. I just clicked on, you know, message me here. I clicked on it, had the message. We got on a demo call. And I, I, I was actually more interested in what you think of the headphones. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so the headphones was an acceptable risk. I actually uh, love them yeah. um, for what they are. Uh, we could go into another... You Go did ahead. the risk analysis and there's your, you know, there's your answer. That's right. That's right. The risk versus risk. reward. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, Aaron, this has been a great episode. Of course, uh, they always are when I have guests on that have so much insights, especially when we start talking about mass spectrometers. Oh, yeah. uh, Aaron, where can people find you? We are at procircular.com, a full service cybersecurity and compliance firm. Um, it, you know, it's, it's about people with us. We, um, we love those relationships. The best part of my job is getting to learn about the companies that we, that we serve uh, and, you know, what it is they're trying to accomplish. Um, so, yeah, really appreciate the opportunity to come on, Chris. Thank, thank you for, uh, for the conversation. It's been great. You bet. With that, this has been an episode of MSP 1337. Have a great week, everybody. 